only imagine all the morphine and tramadol and then you got depression on top of that because you lose your identity. I lost 27 pounds of muscle in 30 days from not eating and just sleeping, um, just from being on the medication and then realized, thinking my life was over. Um, so it was a struggle, but that is when I started, started getting into the Bible. But like most, you know, we really don't understand how it works, so we run to God for a minute read and then we run back to the world our old ways and life just kept falling apart over and over and over until eventually he just started convicting me he's like I don't hate you I'm protecting you he's like I'm make your escape hey welcome back we are glad you're here don't touch that dial. You are in the right place if you're looking for inspiration, motivation, encouragement. Uh, we have it for you here at Last in Line Podcast, where we are teaching guys how to not only charge the mountain and be the tip of the spear in leadership, but also to be the kickstand that props people up and empowers and encourages other leaders to be the best version of the leader within them. We are all leaders we all have influence and as it says in mark 9 35 he who wants to be first will be last of all and servant of all that's what last in line podcast is about and i hope you walk away different than when you turned on this podcast i hope you walk away with the revelation that you were called to lead that you were called to have influence and that you were called to serve hey i am excited to introduce you today to Jason Pike, who you might know as Frogman Tactical USA on Instagram, as well as Train Like a Seal, which is his training program he's developing with the three tiers of focus. And he, Jason was a U.S. Navy SEAL uh, for years, carried out some pretty high-profile missions overseas, uh, trained special forces in foreign countries, um, he spent the last year of his active duty as an instructor training active duty SEALs for pre-deployments. Uh, he was in uh, involved in the training for, of the weapons, the tactics, the surveillance, the recon, different things like that, the intel. He was a big part of that. Uh, in 2012, he started his own tactical training business and is also the owner of a nonprofit called Warhorse Ministries. He hosts a podcast. He uh, missionary. He uh, travels across the country speaking to military units, law enforcement, firefighters. Um, so he knows about the physical and mental uh, anguish and, and rigors of the, the job of first responders and military. So sit back, relax, get your notepad out, and listen to Jason Pike talk about his faith journey and his years in the military and what he's doing now. Welcome, Jason Pike, to Last In Line Podcast. Man, uh, it's an honor to introduce uh, Mr. Jason Pike from Frogman Tactical. Welcome to Last In Line Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you reaching out and asking me to be on. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's an honor to meet you. It hadn't been long. I mean, we've known each other probably all of about a week. Um, but, man, whenever you start putting out stuff that you're putting out, it it kind of, you know, triggers 
me to reach out because you're, you're like I said earlier off camera, you're preaching to the choir on a lot of what you're saying. I appreciate your uh, boldness and courage to talk about your faith and your past and different things. And I think the audience can really maybe gain something, some encouragement from your story. Uh, so yeah, we're going to dig right in, man. I've had, I've had other uh, Navy SEALs on before, former Navy SEAL that you are, and you're a tactical firearm training, defense, self-defense trainer now. Uh, you've got your own company. You've got your own podcast, the War Horse podcast and nonprofit. Man, I can't wait to unpack all that. Um, but, you know, I guess just for my benefit, selfishly, but for the audience too, man, give us an idea since we just pretty much met. Talk about your background, kind of your, I guess, your childhood, how you came to to faith in Christ, and and maybe some things that got you into the military. Man, <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty pretty deep for me. Um, my parents divorced about when I was about five years old. Um, had a pretty good upbringing up until then, you know, typical redneck stuff. Everybody drank from five a.m. until they passed out at night, and um. At one point, I guess my mom got tired of it, and that's where the divorce happened. My dad, he was a Vietnam vet. First person he killed was a woman through orders, an innocent woman mm-hmm. at the gate uh, over in Vietnam. Messed him up. He chose to drink, and uh, he just wasn't willing to quit. But great dad, I did everything for us, provided for us. But everybody just wanted something different. Um, from that point, it just... You know, we got in, my mom got into an abusive relationship, um, just very, very toxic. I mean, and just, I mean, I would come home from my dad's and what little bit I did have would be shot up with a shotgun and my dog would get blamed for it. And then, you know, dog would come up missing and come to find out when we were adults, dogs got sold by him or um, you know, I'd have to get up in the middle of the night because we didn't have a car. We were running from, you know, monthly payments on apartments. I'd have to get up in the middle of the night, drive my, ride my bike four or five miles across the town to get my grandma to come over and put a whooping on him. <laughs> really? Um, oh yeah, it was pretty, man. It was, uh, where'd you grow up? I was born in Illinois and I bounced from Illinois, Alabama into texas Hmm. Um, my dad was a gypsy basically after that he never bought another house Um, he just worked and traveled back and forth and uh, i kind of grew up in the same environment you know being a kid i wanted to be with my dad and then Mm -hmm. i got pulled back to being with my mom you know the guilt trip and then you know back and forth so um back in uh i think i was about 23 you know i was a working to be a licensed electrician and it was on a Friday night I came home my high school sweetheart my mom and stepdad not the same uh, father figure was glued to the tv and they were just talking and you can just hear this excitement in their voice and I was like I stopped at the door I shut up said what are you guys watching I said it's a Navy SEAL documentary it was a first documentary that came out for you know um, advertisement reasons propaganda and just by the way they were talking, I instantly said, I'm going to go do that. I never heard any of them talk like that. And I was thinking, I, I want that respect. You know, mm-hmm. I want here, I want people, I want to hear people say that about me. I never had that. 
you know, and literally what was interesting is all three of them turned around and laughed. Now, keep in mind, growing up, I didn't have a really good father figure. I was mixed up in the world of drugs. I was a little dopehead, you know, worked my butt off doing the best I can. So it's understandable that when you look at something like that, and then you look at little old me, 163 pounds, who smokes dope pretty much every day, <laughs> that they're going to be able to accomplish something. I didn't work out anything like that. So it just triggered something. I mean, it didn't make me mad. I literally went to the recruiting office, signed up that next day for wow. DEP, which is a delayed entry program. I worked my butt off for nine months. I trained, built my own program, um, physical fitness program, and just went in and destroyed it. Yeah. And, and like, I can imagine when you went in, you obviously had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder because you kind of wanted to come back to that reception of respect and develop that in your life uh and create a new track for yourself but you know you became a, it's not like you just went into the military and thought oh hey i'll i'll graduate you know and i'll be you know, i'll be done with boot camp and all of a sudden i'm this guy that commands all this respect you you went into like the hardest area you could probably go into uh you you probably didn't have any track record to to tell yourself you were capable of something like that so what put you in that situation where you had so much confidence and so much courage and so much like, I'm going to go do this, even though it's the worst treatment that I'm ever going to see. Probably just, you know, that goes back to, you hear all these people saying, what's your why, you know, you got to mm -hmm. find your why. Mm -hmm. um, and I've never really been able to put a finger on that. Uh, it's probably a little bit of pride, arrogance. But with that, I also approached it in a very structured manner. Like I said, I just didn't go jump in and out of anger and say, because I would have failed. I sat down and I thought logically and I said, you know what? I want to set myself up just in case I get injured. I'm going to die in training. I'm not quitting. That was yeah. my mindset. It's not an option yeah. because my ego and pride of me coming back and saying I quit was too much shame for me to live in, you know? So I think that had a lot to do with it. But like I said, I spent nine months training. I was doing the delayed entry program. So I advanced from E1 to E3 before I even left for boot camp. And then I went to boot camp. Um, I went to a year's worth of electrical school just in case I got injured. I was like, you know, I'm not going to a ship and chip and paint and plunging toilets. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, so I took every precaution that I felt necessary to ensure my overall success. And you always hear people don't have a plan B. That's the, I'm sorry, but that's stupid. If you don't have, if that were so, Navy SEALs wouldn't have contingency plans. Yeah. The reason why they started coming, they actually developed an, an um, intelligence group was because the lack of success when they first launched the SEALs. They were dying left and right. So they said, what do we need to do? Well, we need to, we need to grow our intelligence. So they started really focusing on, you know, intel. And that is what started making SEALs more successful in the military. So we always have a backup plan. And yeah. as a Christian, nowhere in the Bible does it say, go out and take risk over and over. You're going to fail. Why? Why not take, why not be calculated, take your time, learn how to do it right and increases your, increase your chance of success a hundred fold. Yeah. 
It may take you a little longer. Yeah. But this is one thing we're dealing with in the world is people are always saying, just go out there and take risks. There are times you're going to have to take risks, but I'm feeling in everything else that I have control over to ensure that I'm successful. And I think that was one major thing that really helped me out is I had that arrogance. I had that pride. I had that. I'm not coming home. I'm going to die. But I also had that strategic mindset of, of humbleness to where I have to you know, be smart and make plans just in case. Well, you, and you weren't a Christian at this point, right? No, I was a, I was a yeah. wild child. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I didn't figure. And so, uh, you know, back to your point of contingency plans, I mean, I've heard people say don't have a plan B. And I think that in context is don't give yourself a way out just because it gets hard. But I mean, how many times did you hear expect the unexpected when you're in the military? So uh, there's definitely validity to that. And so you're in and you, you know, you're in buds and, and we could go into all the typical Navy SEAL conversations, but you know, about how, how cold and, you know, Sandy you got. Uh, But, but I think what I want to get to is, when when you went into combat, like you said, you weren't a Christian at the time, and so you didn't really have to reconcile some of the horrific things that you took part in or saw, or you know, people that lives you may have had to take. And and I know there's a difference in murder and self defense, you know, defending a country. So I, I get all that. And but did you ever have to get to a point in your in your mind where, dude, this is this is horrific. Like some of the things in case I get injured, I'm going to die in training. I'm not quitting. That was my mindset. It's not an option because my ego and pride of me coming back and saying, I quit was too much shame for me to live in, you know? So I think that had a lot to do with it, but because it was after nine 11, right. That you joined. And so that was obviously probably a motivator unless I'm putting words in your mouth. I was in third phase when nine 11 happened. We were at a, La Posta shooting range outside working out. And one of the instructors came out and he said, gentlemen, we're going to war. And then everybody was hooting and a hollering and they let us come in to watch, you know, everything. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. So, well, and so you had another kind of motivator to get in the trenches, man. Uh, what about yourself? Did you learn most, I guess, going into battle, going into deployments, going into that environment overseas? Like what, what did you learn about yourself or what did you, kind of maybe surprised you in a good way about yourself? I wouldn't say I learned a lot until God really started working in me. Um, And I'll tell you why. It's because I just like most people, you know, our parents do the best they can, but the values we're brought in, there's no true values. It's just, we just live haphazardly. And Mm -hmm. and if we get in trouble, we're like, Hey, you're going to go to prison. Don't do this. We shouldn't be doing drugs. Don't drink and drive all the basics. But outside of that, there's no real core values to live by. So we're just haphazardly living and we don't know right from wrong. Um, And I'll probably be the first one to tell you, I won't speak for, I'll just speak for myself. We do a lot of bad stuff over there. Um, and it and it's not just us. It's if you look at Vietnam, you look at World War II, man, they oh, yeah. cut people's heads off and put mm-hmm. them on stakes for psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just now that they've implemented all these resources to, you know, rules of engagement and Geneva yeah. Convention, and they've gotten more strict to where it's harder to get away with it. Um, I would say after I got out. Extortion 17 happened. We went to that funeral at Damneck. And 
we were going, me and another buddy, we're going to sign back up and go to green team or try out for green team. And just sitting there listening to guys I went to buds with, it convicted my heart. It's like, I can't do this. And the reason why is because I enjoy it. And mm-hmm. I, I was already to a point to where I was in a good walk with God and I didn't want my heart to go back to that direction mm-hmm. because wow. there's a difference of at that time, I didn't have enough self-control of just doing my job versus, you know what, you're hurting people. I'm going to return the favor. And it, it's, yeah, that's, know, that's hard. I mean, I can imagine there's a, there's a place inside you. You got to reconcile some of that. And, and uh, I, I, I mean, I think it's totally justified. I mean, getting bad guys is, is, I think is, is, you know, understandable in those situations. Like I don't Christian or not, like that's just things that have to be done to protect a, a world and a, and a yeah. society and a country. Uh, so how did you come to Christ during that time? Uh, well, I've always prayed. Um, I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about Christ. I just knew there was a God, even as a teenager. Um, 2010, I was out, I was working and I actually fell. I fell and broke my arm. I was about 15 feet up in the air, shattered my left arm. At that time, I was preparing for amateur bodybuilding contests like seven months out in my first cage fight, six months out. And it just shattered my arm, just took my life away from me. That was my identity. I went from being a SEAL to getting into bodybuilding and wanting to get into cage fighting and stuff like that. So I didn't understand it at the time, but God allowed this to happen because had it not, I would have never came to Christ. Um, I was down in a sling for an entire year with this machine hooked up to me that sends electrical currents that tells a bone graft to grow around the bone. So they basically took an ice cream scooper, took it out of my hip, packed it around all the shattered places in my arm, put a plate in there and hooked me up to that machine. And you can only imagine all the morphine and tram it all and then you got depression on top of that because you lose your identity. I lost 27 pounds of muscle in 30 days from not eating and just sleeping, um, just from being on the medication and then realize thinking my life was over. Um, so it was a struggle, but that is when I started, started getting into the Bible, but like most, you know, we really don't understand how it works. So we run, to God for a minute, read, and then we run back to the world, our old ways. Mm-hmm. And life just kept falling apart over mm-hmm. and over and over until eventually he just started convicting me. He's like, I don't hate you. I'm protecting you. He's like, I'm ta- I'm trying to stop you from doing the same thing over and over. And then he started showing me this little by little. And then I started removing these things. Some of them were very easy to remove, as you can relate. Some were vices that were harder that yeah. You know, it took years, but um, the more I, I'm an extremist by nature. I'm either really passive or really aggressive. You know, now I'm trying to find that balance, and uh, so I dug deep into scripture, into prayer, um, and just went from there. And it's been a, it's been a hard journey. It's been a challenging, but it's it's just amazing at how yeah. prominent he is in my life. Well, it's amazing, kind of, kind of like you. I think you said it a little bit that you know, God knows when it's time to maybe bring you to the end of yourself to get your attention. Uh, but when you mentioned that you kind of have an extreme 
personality, would would it be safe to say you might have been susceptible to an addictive personality as well? Like being on medication, did you ever linger in that temptation of hundred percent? You did. You know, it's funny. Like when people talk to me now, and I'm like, listen, you know, there were. It took me about. When God convicted me uh, to get off the pills after my arm, I went to the VA and I said, Hey, I want to get off this. Cause I didn't know they put me on an opiate. Okay. It was my mom who said, you know, you're on an opiate, right? And I said, no, I'm not. It's just a nerve pill. And when I looked it up, it was the third tramadol in the opiate family. So I went back and they wouldn't take me off. So I had to go to an outside source. What was funny is I said, Hey, I want to come, she goes, it was a little Asian lady. I got you. I got you. You need, you need medication. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I want to come off. And she goes, okay. It was probably the worst two weeks of my life withdrawn, but she gave me this, what's called Voltaren. And it's a, actually an arthritis cream. It was about a thousand dollars or two back in the day. And it's like 40 now at the store. Yeah. But I just packed this on my back because there were so many tremors and shakes that, and just, back was so tense. I couldn't sleep with the pain and I just packed it on there. Wow. Like every three days I was having to get a tube and it was supposed to last you a month, oh, but it actually soaks into the body. It's not topical. So it does affect you on a chemical level. Hmm. And, uh, but man, I've been addicted to drugs, nothing like heroin or anything. I mean, you're talking, I snorted more cocaine than most people have ever seen in their life. Yeah. Um, you're talking, Adderall, you're talking ecstasy, acid. Right. Um, I went through different phases in my life. Um, even when I got out, you know, as I lost myself as a seal, I did not really understand the identity thing and per self purpose. I went from there to the bodybuilding when I had that, and then I got mixed up into other drugs. Mm. And uh, it took God, you know, to literally, yeah. you know, remove it from me. It wasn't something, it finally got to a point to where. I was like so sick of it and it just required a lot of prayer. And there was one time for the Adderall, I'll give you an example. My brain starts working right before my eyes open just every morning. And all I heard was his voice say, throw it away. Didn't tell me what I knew what it was. I went in there and dumped it in the toilet and flushed it, never touched it, never desired it again. And, oh uh, man, you know, wow. it's, it's just one of those things, you know, I, when I work with a lot of people, we talk about how easy it is for us to get addicted. And we talk about pornography. We talk about yeah. lusting monsters, rebels. And what it comes down to is even something at coffee. You know, how many times have you gotten up and say, man, if I didn't have my coffee, don't, you know, don't talk to me until I have my coffee. There's an underlying lack that's of a touchy. That's a touchy problem. subject because I drink coffee <laughs> all day know. long. As I, <laughs> but if you look at that, if you truly come off a of coffee and you understand that there's an addiction problem there, you get headaches, understand that there's a lack of self control, which carries over into lusting, masturbation, true, any other addictions that you Outlets, have. Yeah, and it starts as something as simple as that, and that's how Satan gets you. He doesn't throw these major drugs on you. It's like adultery. At no point do you just meet somebody and go yep. screw them. What happens? Death by death by a thousand cuts, right? It starts by a conversation with a smile. You look yep. nice today. And then it's sneaking behind through lunch and dinner, and then you're sleeping with them. And then you say, yep. "How did I get here?" Yep. You started off with a cup of coffee, just a sip. That's right. You know, that's right. Well, 
so as you talk about some of the your addiction journey a little bit and and you know faith you know becoming more i guess at this point a big part of your life as you're starting to realize um wow i need a mission because most military service members when they transition the mission and the brotherhood are the two things they miss the most and it causes a lot of you know grease fires in their relationships a lot of just upside down in their life but you you know you had to kind of reinvent yourself i guess for lack of a better term did did was there a relationship in there like folded in you have a son you have a son right or you have I've got i've got th- three boys three and boys well, technically we have six we got five sons and uh okay so so you, biological boys at some point like so relationship talk to me a little bit about fatherhood and relationships because i mean i think it suffice to say there might be some uh i don't know the divorce rate of of former spec ops people must might be high you know i don't have the numbers but i would assume it's high especially transition time is rough talk to me about your relationship kind of how you had to figure this thing out and being a being a dad and just things that came out in you that you maybe didn't even expect that were there man well I think it's just, it has to do with us as a whole, when you're talking about divorce, uh, selfishness, you know, I look back at why I married their mother and vice versa. It was because we've fulfilled a need with one another. Mm. And the reason why we're divorced and most people are divorced is because we approach it selfishly, not what can we do for one another? It's what can you do for me? And when there's, you're not doing anything for me, um, then I got to go, you know, that's not love. That's not godly love. Um, you know, when we came back, the military does a really good job on trying to prepare the spouses. Like my wife and I, um, we were best friends and we did everything together, everything. Like if you told me 20 years ago, we'd be divorced. I, I'd just laugh at you. It's like, there's no way, you know, but what ended up happening is, we were so united that when I left, she became very independent, take care of everything at home. I went overseas and started being more independent. And then we came back, that independence started clashing. And um, that is where the problem started happening. And my idea, again, being a child, it's interesting that we can go over there and the government trusts us with million dollars of operational equipment. Yet we're so we're still immature at the end of the day. And it's just is what it is. My mindset was, I'm not going to go to counseling and have somebody tell me who I am. That doesn't even know me instead of understanding they're just there to listen to the problems and give you the tools that can help you guys be successful. Yeah. So, it got to the point to where we weren't talking and, um, you know, I just started lusting and doing things I shouldn't have been on the internet, which led to adultery. Uh, I was again, arrogant and pride. I couldn't forgive myself. So we divorced. Um, she was willing to work through it. Um, it was a, it was a hard it was a struggle for me. I just couldn't forgive myself. It well, took I got to ask you too, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I got to ask you because you made a good point that the military does a good job of preparing the spouses when you come home. What I didn't hear you say is that they really prepare you guys to know that spouse is really independent now. You haven't been there for months. 
you, this is what you should yeah. look at and look for because you it didn't sound like unless I'm assuming too much it didn't sound like you were prepared to handle a very independent wife uh, no. that you know what I mean so I mean I guess it's a two way street they should do a better job that's just my own little two cents but they should do a better job of telling you guys look this is who this person's going to be when you get there you might be on not on guard but be prepared to know that they haven't needed you for six months yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Jason Pike. Um, wanted to let you know, if you're looking to get in touch with us, uh, you can email me at lastinlineleadership at gmail.com or you can reach out on Instagram at last underscore in underscore line underscore leadership. Shoot me an email. Uh, let me know what you think of the episodes. Share the episodes. Please give us a rating and review. Also, I want to... Uh, apologize for the uh, technical difficulties or some glitching with the Wi-Fi. We both, he and I both had some weather issues in Texas during the conversation. So the uh, Wi-Fi was a little bit intermittent cutting in and out. So I want to apologize for that. hope it's not too disruptive, uh, but uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Let's get back to the talk with Jason. So you're living in, you know, 13 years with somebody before him even a high school sweetheart. And you think six months is really going that much of a difference. Right. Not only that, how it changes your mindset over there doing that stuff. There's no, I mean, I hate to say it. There wasn't a lot of time that I really, really focused on my family. Definitely not in operations or preparing. Right. You know, right. if I was at, you know, I was making a phone call to them or something like that. Um, for me personally, I took it very, very serious. And I really, once again, being an extremist, I lived it 24 hours a day. When I was, we were, yeah. when we were here in the United States, I still took my work home. Yeah. And even one of the active duty seals and buds, he says, Hey guys, this is a job. If you don't leave this stuff here at work, it will destroy everything. And I'm thinking you shouldn't be here. That's what I literally thought. You shouldn't be here. I was like, this isn't a job, man. But there's a balance of understanding yeah. it needs to stay at work. And when you're home, you need to take care of the home front. And, and once again, being an extremist that many people can relate to, that's hard to do. But it's common, isn't it? Like that that exact statement you made, uh, several sentences I've heard said by other spec ops guys. And the the lethality and the nature of your jobs I don't see how you just flip that switch. Like you guys, it's different than just a banker that brings home work, right? Like it's, you guys are called to save people's lives, to protect a, a nation, like put yourself in deathly situations. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's, that's hard because you have to be on such your game on a daily basis. You got to be a, a game, you know, on your game with that edge to be lethal and, and I mean, just to shut that off would be hard, but I don't know. That's the conversation for another time, but you know, fast forward, you, you kind of go through some of that transition in your relationship and, and that's hard, but growing up, I guess with a dad that you had and you said he was a good dad, he just maybe had a couple demons in the addiction realm that he couldn't kick, you know, with alcohol and things, but were you, determined to be different or did you take some things from his book of parenting that you did like, and you did want to implement? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, like I said, my dad never raised, I don't remember him ever raising his voice. You know, he gave us the old windmill and the belt and we deserve it. Yep. Um, there was never ever abuse. We were always provided for. We always yeah. went on vacations. Um, here, here's what I'll tell you. And I never really thought about this. Um, there are people who are truly functioning alcoholics, but it depends on yeah. the lifestyle that you're living. Like my dad at the life that we lived was a true functioning alcoholic. He lived drunk 24 hours a day, but he wasn't stumbling drunk. He wasn't abusive. We never lacked. He always hugged us. He loved us. Um, although there's bad things that are being taught there, he truly yeah. was functional. But yeah. when my mom said enough is enough, if I just don't want this life, well, he was incapable of rising to that occasion before he become unfunctional at that point or non-functional. Yeah. yeah. So I, if you look at most people who use drugs, they'll pay day or they allow the addiction to overtake them to where they quit their jobs. They can't handle or shit. They end on the streets prostituting. That wasn't the life that I experienced. It was like, it was just, man, maybe they drank so much that they really weren't as drunk as I thought they were, you know, like it was from 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. from the time they got up. A lot of extended family who had to go work in factories, tomato juice and beer. So you couldn't smell it sure. until they fell asleep at night, like nonstop. Yeah. So I'm sure the tolerance buildup was pretty, pretty high, yeah. but um, I did take a lot of stuff from him. Um, one of the things that really wired me was the gypsy aspect. I've traveled, like I said, bouncing back and forth. <sighs> I've traveled my whole life up until the last year. I did nothing but take traveling jobs. I contracted. I've worked in the oil field where I was gone two weeks at a time. Um, everything I've done except for a few jobs was gone. And every year I told myself, man, you're missing out on some of your kids' gains and stuff. But it was so natural to me. And I was supposed to be, there was supposed to be understanding. But as God convicted me, he's like, this is this is a gypsy life that you're choosing, not what you're called to be. He told me that one day, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I struggled a couple of years trying to tell myself, okay, I'm going to work real hard, make a couple hundred thousand dollars, put it back and then start my own business and work from home. Well, then I launched my business and not having this bigger picture in mind. Um, I started traveling and training again, which is really prominent in you know the firearms industry so about a year ago i just said man screw this i said my kids are teenagers god has shown me the things that um have been pushed on them i don't want these genealogical curses passed on to them and it stops right here i said like you're saying the demons that my dad had they stopped you know they've been with us for generations i'm going to be the one who stops it and I started restructuring my business and that's it, you know, um, and it's been life changing. Uh, even my kids are like, I've noticed a big difference in the last couple of years, you know, so they're starting to understand and listen to me instead of seeing all my mistakes, seeing how I'm correcting everything. Like, listen, hopefully in three or four generations, I hopefully I'm around if I don't that all this stuff you see that went wrong, divorce and drugs is no longer in our bloodline, Yeah, but it's up to you to bear the burdens that I'm bearing and not repeat the same mistakes that I'm 
doing. Yeah. Because a kid's thing is, well, you did it and you became a Navy SEAL. I was like, imagine where I would be right now if I didn't do all of that. Imagine what kind of business owner I would be if I didn't make the mistakes that I made. Yeah. You know, so it's like our goal is to carry the burdens of our fathers and correct them to ensure that our children don't live that way as well. No, that's good. And that's a good awareness too, because it is a real thing that, you know, the generational curses are a thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice that you're aware of it and, uh, you've taken notice and put yourself on notice and say, we're not doing this. And you've also kind of, I mean, what it sounds like is you're raising kids in the faith too, like you're raising kids that know God, that know his word and nobody's perfect. I mean, nobody's got it all figured out, but I, I would assume you've got a good foundation that you've set for them. Um, and I, if you're like me, you, you, you can also use some of your mistakes as teaching moments and be like, look, I can be a cautionary tale here. And just cause I did it and, and overcame, it doesn't mean everybody overcomes these mistakes. Like I was right. God's grace and mercy took me through that, but I don't want you to repeat those things. And so, I mean, I've raised, I've got one that's 20, almost 24 and one that's 14 and a couple in between. So yeah, I've had a lot of those conversations. Um, what would you say um, if you gave your, I guess, given yourself advice as a young father, uh, if you could do it over again, what are some things you would give yourself from an advice standpoint as a dad? Man, I mean, if I could sum it up, it would be just simply nothing's more important than family. Mm-hmm. You know, because at the end of the day, I think everybody can relate. Just this one more thing, just this one more thing, just this one more thing. And we're constant. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us to continue to chase, not be that figure or that mother figure in our home so kids grow up the way you know the way we see the world growing up right now and it's just becoming more sinful and more toxic um but man it's it would be a never-ending thing it would be yeah man just live right you know live live for god that is is the most beneficial thing that i could ever tell anybody is submit to god's will for your life and What's interesting is people think like you're put in chains or yeah. you know, you're some type of prisoner, but man, I've never been more free. I can, I can walk and do whatever I want, obviously, unless it's unlawfully and, and not fall into an addiction. I can be around anybody I want and not fall into lust. You know, it's, there's so much freedom there. It's unreal. And it's yeah. so nice to be able to come home with my wife and kids and not have anything in my closet except for just human error on a daily basis. I screw up every single day, but that doesn't mean I'm like sinning every single day. I may, I may slip up here and I may curse or I may become lazy or whatever the case may be, but there's no deliberate sin in my life. And it's awesome to come home that my wife gets to experience that my children get to see what God is, is made me versus who I used to be on my own. And that, that's the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest, biggest, the most awesome thing is watching what God is making me so my kids can see what God will do in their yeah. life. Yeah. That's important. And if you're not living that out, you're teaching your children that God is something that he's not, you know, and they're watching yeah. you. Everything well, you do, they're watching. That's the crazy, crazy. thing is people think that you got to, you said you it said perfectly it. that, they think your fun is over when you become a Christian. And they also think you got to be perfect. 
and and that's not it like there's there's grace every day for us and we're not yeah. perfect and that's that's not the expectation god's you know a father just like we're a father we don't expect our kids to be perfect but you know he's there and and so i think it's important that we are transparent and and authentic with our children to know look i, I screw up every day and so that's, that's one of the true. things i've had to learn as a parent is how to apologize yes because uh, that's yeah. not in my intuitive nature um but but that's something I've had to learn and be humble. God humbles you. If you're not already humbled, um, he'll humble you. So uh, talk about your ministry, uh, you know, the work you do now and, you know, the Warhorse nonprofit, you mentioned you have a podcast and kind of getting that back going again consistently. Like uh, what, what has been some of the most rewarding things you've done with, with some of the training you do for firearms and self-defense, that kind of thing? And so I opened up the Warhorse uh, Ministries Warhorse podcast a couple years ago, and one of the things I'm bad about, once again, being an extremist, I just I used to just compile things. So right now I've got Frogman Tactical, I got the ministry, and I just started um, the Train Like a Seal, which is the mind, body, spirit, basically the building of the temple through fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm doing right now is trying to restructure everything where it molds into one instead of having three different entities. And so what I've done with the Frogman Tactical, actually, I think a couple of days ago, I announced that my oldest son, who's been training since he's been in diapers, is taking over the lead role as the instructor, doing the training videos and any courses that we put on. I'll still be there, but... He wanted to pick up that torch, so he's earned it, and he's really good. He's got a lot, lot to learn, but um, he's. I want him to have that if that's what he chooses. Yeah. But yeah. the ministry, as far as the podcast, I started that. Like I said, I took a little break because so I was dealing with a lot of stuff. Um, what I was using Frogman Tactical for is a vessel, and I still use it for an opportunity to get to talk to God and about people's problems and help them work through issues on the range. It's amazing. We'll shoot half the day and then we'll talk a little bit and then it never fails. You know, somebody will come up afterwards and start talking. I've baptized three or four people in a pool on the (laughs) range, you know, so I've got a lot of, you know, great opportunities to help people out by, you know, God's grace. The ministry, I got to go to Uganda last December, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd been tithing to a group for about six years, and although I wanted to go, my faith wasn't great enough to handle those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I met another gentleman. His name was Barrett Fawbush. He's His name is Trexodus, True Exodus on Instagram, and he's a pastor, and he's a gun advocate. And it just so happens that those two started talking and then my name came up and he said, Hey, I'm going to go to Uganda. And he is a full blown minister that travels and drills wells. And I'm thinking, lead the way I'm just going to follow and I'm going to learn. So we went uh, this past December, um, we drilled our, we raised enough money to drill our first well for the kids in Uganda. Um, Fred, he oversees 400 children right now. And due to COVID, they split them up in three to four areas, hours in between them. So once the restrictions go away, he's going to bring them all together again. But just being able to deliver something so simple that we take for granted, you know, maybe pouring water on our head because we're hot, thinking that could have saved somebody's life today. Wow. Like the, the cattle and the people 
they're drinking, the cows are peeing, the people were bathing, and that's the water that they're drinking. And if you actually look it up, more children die in Africa from dysentery of the water, if I'm not mistaken, than anything else in the world. I don't doubt it. Yeah. So it's something so simple that we all could pitch in a couple dollars and change the world. So now what we're doing is um, Barrett actually had a donor who we were struggling with. What do we do? Do we keep sending money so they can buy food and then, you know, drill in a well whenever we can, or do we try to think bigger? Hmm. So what we did is we started raising money to build the first farm so we can get the crops and we get the animals. We, uh, he just bought the land um, a couple of days ago. So once we get this farm up and running and sustainable, we're going to branch out and hopefully maybe in the next five years, we'll move up into Sudan and start preaching there. Wow. Uh, we're going back on January this coming January. So Man, it's just little by little, you know, I think it's God. He knows like, this is what you can handle. I want to like, I want thousands of people like right now, let's baptize. But God's saying, that's not where you are. This this is, this is your level of faith. This is what I got to work with. It's just impatience. (laughs) God's, God's extreme is a little more well thought out than, than our extreme, right? Cause you're self-proclaimed extreme uh, personality, but he, he can be extreme when, when the time's right. Um, I, you know, I guess I wanted to ask you some things kind of more, you know, in line to the work you're doing and things like that. Um, are you, what are you, what's your biggest, I'll try to think of a great term here. It probably won't be, but I guess what's the cross you're carrying right now? What's, what's your greatest cross to bear? What keeps you up at night? What are you still trying to uh, maybe conquer if that's the right word? But God has convicted me to start this um, phone app for fitness and personal growth and development Mm. and people's walk with Christ. And uh, Mm. just really getting that up and running is a struggle right now. But like I said, anything that keeps me up, man, I have I have humbled myself throughout the last decade. Um, I've been real with myself. I've approached God with my problems. I begged God to take the problems away. Uh, And he has. You know, he has been so faithful and I wish I could tell you that I had a problem, (laughs) but I'm very fortunate that I don't have anything right now. Yeah, no, that's good. And I don't, yeah, I would, I, yeah, maybe not so much like what problem, but I, I know that there are things about society right now that keep me up a little bit, you know, that I kind of, I guess, shoulder some of the burden and, and part of my role as a dad in raising men specifically young men and you're doing the same so those are the things that kind of keep me maybe not up at night but it's just one of those i just i feel like we have such a huge role and a torch to carry to grow these men and build them up because as you as you can see society's a reflection of either a good dad or a a non-present dad so i want to be the best dad possible as i know you do and so i wondered if those kinds of things kind of are heavy on you. Cause I know you don't take those lightly. Um, so yeah. And, and I guess the flip side of that question would be what gets you sprung out of bed in the morning? Like what, what can you not wait to take on during the day? Like what fires you up? What ignites you energizes you on a daily basis? Life, man. It's just when you truly 
fall back to the basics of understanding your creation and how blessed you are to have another day to make changes and, and become better. Um, that's why I get up, you know, I don't need motivation. And my motivation is the fact that I've taken on a wife and I've taken on a children and God says, you have a responsibility to fill. And that's my motivation. Um, you know, you always hear people talk about motivation and motivation is backed by emotions. And that's why people, you know, they become emotionally charged when they hear somebody say something, they hear a video, they listen to something, read something, and they go out and work really hard for a couple hours or the day and they become depressed again and they run back to it. You know, that's very, very unhealthy. And it's just simply due to the fact that people don't know why they were created. They're not living in their purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, when I get up, I'm thinking, who do I get to help today? Whose life is going to be changed? Who's going to hear something that God speaks and, and just changes their life. And how do I get to help my kids? Um, I get to wake up and see my beautiful wife and that's it, man. It's a, it's just having a simple life and being able to take another breath and uh, help people, you know, that's good. That's it. That's all I can tell you. And sometimes we make it a little, uh, we don't keep it as simple enough sometimes. Cause like you said, man, fundamentals, basics, just keeping it simple. Like we've been, we really don't deserve anything, you know, other no. than hell. And, uh, you know, the fact that we've been grace enough to, to get another day and, and to go out and try to reflect Christ uh, to those that may not know him, maybe even to the ones that do that are struggling and they're maybe on the fence, like our lives speak to those people. And so if you're serving, which is the whole point of this podcast is servant leadership, last in line and helping other people, encouraging other people like that's kind of if we lose sight of that, man, we're I think we're missing the boat and we're going to have a lot to answer for. So I think it um, sounds like you've got a good lens by which you see your life uh, now and and the role you have as a dad and, and a business owner. And you're passing the torch to your son, which I think is awesome, man. That's that's the American dream. If you ask me, creating something that you can pass on to the next generation and watch them serve other people. Like I think that's in a nutshell, that's that's pretty rewarding. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you for your listeners, the image that the world has created as a Christian is, is very timid and weak. Yeah. And that is not who God is. You know, I've never been stronger in my life as I am now as a Christian. It's like, not only do I have everything that I've had before, I've got more clarity. I've got more freedom. I've got more peace. There's no drama. I can hand my wife my phone. I can hand you my phone and say, if you see anything and the next year, the phone is yours, send it to my wife. Yep. Open book. You know, absolute yep. freedom, no anxiety, no stresses. And that is the power that Christ will give you. It's just nothing has control over you. And there's nothing more powerful than that. And my overall goal is to just reestablished who Christ really is and get rid of this idea of what the world has made him as this weak, feeble-minded, you know, man that submits to everything. And that's not who he is. He's, he's a, he's a warrior. Yep. Yep. And I'm glad you said that because uh, I was going to ask you, you know, I, I guess the Christian circles of men recently and there are guys that are doing it right that don't 
fall into this category, but man, there's a lot of open cans of biscuits out there when you when you think about certain flabby men, flabby Christian spiritually. I'm talking about spiritually flabby, soft. They think that that's what our role is as Christian men is to be timid and weak, and that's not. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because meekness is not weakness, right? Meekness is just right. I can look at you and tell that you're a powerful individual, but you've got that under control. Like you've got that in there if you need to press that button, but it's not that we're coming out guns blazing every, every conversation we're in. So that's meekness. And that's what Jesus was like. He had everything he needed to be, you know, uh, a force to be reckoned with. He had, he had all the tools to be violent and righteous violence is a, is a thing too. I, uh, I, I don't answer to humans. I answer to God, and I don't yeah. care if everybody hates me. I'm just going to speak the truth. I've lived it, um, and I see the trends, um, and I'm a big advocate of stop putting seals and law enforcement or whoever on pedestals because when you start digging into the flesh, you're going to see some sick, twisted crap. And one of my biggest pet peeves right now is what these some of these seals and what I always say is, if it offends you, let it just rest in it. Don't be upset. If there's truth in it, just rest in it and let the spirit convict you. Um, they're sitting here preaching this. I'm this warrior. I'm out here mentoring guys on what it means to be a man. And I'm posting pictures of me and my beautiful wife and my kids. And yet you're cheating on your wife with all these women when you travel and you're sleeping with all these women. But, you're, you know, it's just uh, it's disgusting. And, and I was that man before, before I came to Christ. So it's not out of judgment. It's from experience and looking back on the man that I once was and the destruction that it brought to my wife, my children, everything that I touched. And I'm watching these individuals who have such an influence just lead these people straight to the pits of hell. Mm. And you know, as well as I do, at the end of the day, a distraction from Christ is still going to send you to hell. It doesn't, it doesn't matter why you haven't accepted him. At the end of the, your life, if you haven't accepted him, there's yeah, not going to be, well, this person deceived me or yeah, anything. It's just heaven or hell. God's yeah. going to say, I'm sorry. You know, I gave you free will. You made your choice. I love you, but here's the repercussions. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and and I think I hear in your voice truth, but I also hear like there's grace there too to just kind of a call to action. I think, and and maybe just like a take it from somebody who's been down the road and there's a better way. And uh, so maybe we need to take yeah. a little bit of a self-examination trip and, and look within. And I'm not speaking for any of those people you mentioned at all, but but people in general, like I think it's time to step back and say, OK, what are we about? What is our purpose? Who do we serve? And really, what what's our identity? And if it's not in Christ, then we need to maybe get around some people who can help us get on that track and and really start to examine our faith journey. And there are some people out there that will probably never accept Christ that exhibit some characteristics of Christ. You don't have to be a Christian to say, I would never cheat on my spouse or sure. abuse or molest. Some people just innately don't have it, but at the end of their life, they're still going to end up in right. hell any way you want to look at it. But what I find interesting is you see all these people working to try and make these changes within our government, making these posts about how it's the government and the politicians fault. Yet you live in this destructive life 
and think that you have the right to destroy, but they don't. It's hypocritical. Sure. You know, it's either it's either you're going to be on the side from the home front all the way up to the government to fix our problems, or you're going to be part of the problem. Yeah. You don't get to pick and choose just because you hide it in your closet. Sin destroys. And that's all there is to it. Everything you touch, every person you come in contact with, how you carry yourself, how you speak, it will taint other people. And my thing is, is it's just like that. It's being able to see these trends and watching what's really happening. It's, it's mind blowing that we are so self entitled that we think we can, we have the freedoms, which we do in free will, but it doesn't prevent us from the repercussions that come due to the sin. Yep. You can hide it all you want, but at the end of the day, we're destroying our country from the inside of our homes. Yeah, at the sure. end of the day, you think about it. If we all did what we needed to do inside the home, we would, our government wouldn't be where it is because when the values are set in the home, they carry outside into the city, into the state, to yep. the government. The fact that the home is destructive is the reason why the cities have become destructive, the states have become destructive, and the government. It, yeah. It's just a snowball effect, and it, it has to be corrected yeah. in the individual. And I would say where people need to start is not comparing yourself to other people. Like, well, that person cheated on their wife, or they're a liar, or they yelled at somebody, or they're a murderer. You need to look at what God calls good and perfect, and then start identifying who you really are as a person compared to that. And then you can see the sin that's in your life and start correcting it. Yeah. But humans are, I'm good enough. No, you're not. That's why our world is falling. Yeah, yeah you know? for sure. It, it is. And, and man, it's the minute we started operating based on feelings and just sort of this situational ethics roller coaster is when the train started to derail as a society. But you, you said it perfectly. Like the home is where we actually can make the biggest impact. And then that ripple effect hopefully goes upstream and becomes community and, and country. Uh, so, uh, man, thank you for being here. I, I've, I've gotten a lot out of this conversation and, and, Man, I, I know the audience is appreciative of of your insight and really your transparency about who you were and now who you are. And uh, where can we, if we want to reach out for some firearms training, or I know you work with law enforcement, I know you work with a lot of entities and organizations, but maybe you can give us an idea as civilians, just kind of Joe civilian, where I can go to get your resources and learn from you. Yeah, you can email me at frogmantactics at gmail.com. You can reach me on Instagram, frogman underscore tactical underscore USA. Or if you like fitness, it's train like a seal with underscore in between the words. Um, and my number is on all of those for the most part. That's my personal number. I don't do the business number. It's oh, like, okay. I, want, I want to build personal relationships with people. Yeah. I'm not, it's funny because somebody said one time, you're not talking to him. You're talking to a secretary. Right. <laughs> I was like, I'm a one man show. I want to build those relationships. Like Jesus, you are talking to me. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you uh, for coming on and, and audience, man. Uh, Jason's been awesome. He, he is, he, his journey is, is just insane. How, how far he's come and where he came from and the things he's learned and the way he's 
teaching others based on some of his lessons, hard lessons. And so I appreciate his transparency and, and authenticity. And, and I hope you uh, have written some things down, if not go back and listen to this again, because there's some definite gold that we can apply every day. So with that, he's been Jason Pike. We've been last in line. Be blessed. Make your escape. <laughs>